Welcome to Support for Survivors, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse. Each person's journey is unique. Our goal is to connect survivors to resources along the way on their path to healing. Our host, Shaughnessy Terrell, is a member of Cohen and Malad's sexual abuse litigation team and a former deputy prosecuting attorney who has tried hundreds of cases against sexual predators. We are here to help survivors get access to justice. Join us on this journey. Here is Support for Survivors. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Shaughnessy Terrell. Welcome to Support for Survivors. Today, we are happy to welcome Ashley Nation to our show. Ashley is a survivor of sexual abuse perpetrated by one of her high school teachers. Her story is much more common than we think that it is, and there's so much value in talking about it. She's here today to share that with us and to teach us all how we can do better. Welcome, Ashley. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. We really appreciate you coming on. I know that it is difficult to talk about the things that we're going to talk about. I know you know it took you a long time to get to a point where you were ready to talk about it. And so we understand that. And if we need to slow down at any point or take a break, we certainly can. Let's go ahead and dive right into how you met this teacher. How did you first come into contact with him? I came into contact with him at the end of my junior year of high school. He was replacing our current theater teacher director at the time and he was going to be taking over for him in that position and so you were a theater kid yeah I was a theater nerd (laughs) and at the time how was your life going and like at home things like that were you having some problems um yeah I had some difficult situations going on at home my parents were divorced so I had issues you know with my mom and I had issues going on you know while I was living with my dad and theater was my escape from those things. It was like your safe haven. Yeah. So when you first had him as a teacher, did it seem pretty normal? Yeah. At first it was, we were introduced to him at the end of my junior year. And then we did a summer show that summer together. And he just, he seemed like the perfect fit for our small town, you know, high school. He came from a great background of theater. And then he had also worked with another school in the area. So like I said, he just, he seemed like the perfect fit. And this was in Southern Indiana, right? Yeah. And now forgive me, because I don't know a whole lot about theater departments and things like that. But what I, as an outsider, what I see is it seems like it's usually like a pretty close knit little community. And I don't know, like when you're putting on something like that and you're creating art together, I feel like it sort of bonds people. Yeah, it's, it becomes a family. We spend so much time together, you know, from the tech side of it, which is what I was on, to the actors themselves. They work on the material and they form their characters. And on the tech side of it, you know, we spend a ton of time together backstage. We take a blank stage and we create an entire play, a masterpiece. So did there come a point in time when things became less normal in terms of the way that he interacted with you? So it didn't happen overnight. This started small. This started as a a caring and kind man who was concerned for my well-being. And he was a trusted adult in my life. And I needed a trusted adult. And I, I went to him. And at first, like I said, it was caring. It was concern. It was, tell me what's going on. How can we help you? And then, you know, slowly over time, it happened so slow. I never noticed it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this didn't, it didn't happen overnight. He inserted himself into my life and then he slowly piece by piece took control of it. 
I think that that is such a an important thing to talk about because I think a lot of people are like, oh, how did this happen? Like it just happens overnight. You know, um, an abuser like that doesn't typically, especially one who's employed in a school, doesn't typically just like walk into the room and demand sexual favors. It's not like yeah. that. It takes time and it's inch by inch, inch by inch. And until one day you wake up and you're like, holy crap, how did I get to this point? Yeah. And they do that in very specific ways in order to earn trust and make an, a, an emotional connection with the child and sometimes with the family or the community at large. And it sounds like that's what happened here. He made that connection with you slowly, inch by inch. And, you know, once you trust him that much, he does have control over you. Yeah. And it's, it's my complicated home life was his perfect opportunity. You think that's part of why he chose you? Yeah. I don't, I don't think any person like him just randomly chooses who they're going to give special attention to. It is those that they can insert themselves into their life and be that trusted, concerned adult. And then that's when they take that and they manipulate it over time. And that's what happened to me. He inserted himself into my life and then he started controlling it and he did it all for his sexual gratification. Right. Exactly. Right. And that is just so important for people to understand that it's that emotional connection that bonds them to their victims and makes it so easy for them to be able to go forward with that. You know, being that age is so freaking difficult in the first place for anyone. And then if, especially if you have some things going on at home that maybe makes things a little bit more rocky, a little bit or a lot, and you have this person who you feel like you can trust, then you're a prime target, unfortunately. And obviously it sounds like that's exactly what he did. Exactly. And I mean, it's like I said, looking back, I see the big picture now, but I didn't know what was going on then. You know, I was 17. I was vulnerable. I was, I was a child. I was a teenager, but yes, I was a child, but my abuser, he knew every step of the way what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't sexual at first. Like I said, it wasn't, he didn't just walk in and say, this is what we're going to do his touches at first, they were, nothing was sexual. And then those, the next thing I know, you know, those concerning touches on my shoulder, you know, they became much more sexual than that. And it just happened again. So even, even once he's established that emotional connection, so he knows that he's in, even then it's not like he goes straight to sex. It's another grooming process. It starts with the touches on the shoulder. Then maybe it's a touch in a more intimate place again, inch by inch by inch until one day, you wake up and, oh my gosh, you're like, how, how did this start? How, how did this happen? Yeah. 10 years later, that's what I asked myself. And that's kind of how we got here. And I, th- I think it's so important that people understand that because I think a lot of parents and teachers don't even know that, let alone the kids, they don't know what to look for. And so it's so easy for this to happen. But you know, the other adults around whose responsibility it is to help take care of the kids don't know. That being said, in this particular case, the assistant director, she did see it, didn't she? Yes. And I think did. I read that she reported him to the administration 10 times before he eventually left. Yeah. And I say left because not fired, but he was resigned. Yeah. He was. Yeah, he resigned. Let's talk about that. So how long? So this started, the inappropriateness started during your junior or senior year? Um. Uh, 2008. We'll say, yeah, it was my junior year to senior years when we met, but you know, things got inappropriate my senior year. So we'll say the years, 2008, 2009. Okay. So then how long did that go on after you graduated? 
Not, um, we did a summer show together and it was shortly after that summer show, I would say the fall of 2009, our contact was slowly diminishing and then we had no contact at all. And did you tell anyone? At the time, some of my friends knew a little bit, but once again, this is where what my abuser did was more than just, you know, manipulate me. He turned, he turned me against my friends. He explained to me that, you know, he was the only one who truly cared for me. My friends did not care for me. My father did not care for me. Neither did my mother, my stepmother, my family would not be there for me like he would be. And we completely isolated you emotionally. Yes. So I didn't tell anyone. I mean, it's a very specific type of manipulation that these offenders uh, use and it works, unfortunately, because you don't feel like you can trust any of them anymore. And maybe things have happened because of his influence on you that has damaged those relationships. So it maybe it goes both ways. Maybe they don't want to talk to you either. That happens all the time. So you didn't tell your friends, you didn't tell the police. Now I'm going to ask you this because I hate it so much when I have clients who have to delayed the disclosure for even a short period of time or a long period of time. And over and over you hear, well, why didn't you tell anyone? Why didn't you call the police? And it pisses me off because there are very good reasons for that. And it's completely understandable. Can you shed some light on your perspective at that point in time and and why you didn't come forward until 2020? Yeah. I think a lot of why I didn't come forward with then was I didn't recognize a lot of that behavior until I got older, but most importantly, I was told that nobody would understand and which there was a lot of shame there. There was a lot of guilt there. Mm -hmm. And then I walked away from this thinking it was all my fault. And was he married at the time? Yes. So you've got that extra layer of guilt too. Yeah. And you know, sorry, no, take your time. I didn't come forward then because how, how was I going to explain what I did? You know, what I did to me then, like I said, I felt like it was all my fault and that instead of the world being understanding, which we've seen time and time again, the only thing the world does is blame the victim first. I felt that the world was just going to say that I asked for this, that I laid down and I had sex with my theater teacher and I asked for it. And I can tell you right now, I did not decide that it happened to me. And that's why it took me 10 years to realize just how fucked up it was. I don't know if I can say that. You can say whatever you want. But I came forward because I realized it was the only way through it. And then, you know, when I came across, this came about because I came across his name. It was as simple as that. I came across his name and a simple Google search. And I found out that he was employed at North Central. I was under the impression that he was not supposed to teach again. And let's stop you right there real quick. Why were you under that impression? He did leave the school, but he didn't leave the school because of what happened to you, right? No. Why did he leave your high school? He left the school. From my understanding, he left because there was an allegation made against him and he was allowed to quietly resign with the, from what I know, that he wasn't supposed to teach again. Instead of instead of going to the police or pressing charges, everything was just hush hush put in a file, locked yeah. away. It, and we see it all the time where schools and other organizations think that they're protecting the 
the organization, if they keep it quiet and send them on down the line. And frankly, I mean, that's not true. Obviously here we are over 10 years later and the, it's finally time for them to pay the piper. But those allegations that were against him at your high school, not all of it was of a sexual nature, was it? Or at least a direct sexual nature. I mean, he was really doing super inappropriate things with and to a lot of kids saying things, showing kids porn at school. It was just like, it was crazy. There wasn't just me that was, you know, a victim of Nathan Scholl. It was everyone. He was aggressive towards, you know, other male students. I personally witnessed him, you know, mock and make fun of people in front of everyone. And then, you know, there are things that came out from the assistant theater director where he threw something and hit a student with it. And then he left his laptop out, which had porn on it and inappropriate pictures of other individuals in his life. And we were encouraged to look at those things. We were encouraged to explore sexuality. We were encouraged to talk about those things. And that is another way that my abuser and other, it's another, it's another tactic they use. Mm -hmm. At one point in my time, I questioned my sexuality and he inserted himself right into that situation. And I was encouraged to talk about it with him Mm -hmm. to the point where, when I had friends stay the night, did we sleep together with clothes on? Did we shower together? Did we ever kiss those little things? And he was, I'm just trying to help you all under the guise that he's helping you. Yeah. All under, yes. I'm trying to help you. I just care for you. And it's just, another aspect of my life that he controlled. So he resigns. And I think that all of you have some comfort or solace in knowing that you think he can't teach again. And you're like, well, you know, he probably should have been prosecuted, but at least we know he's not going to be in another school. And Mm -hmm. lo and behold, 10 years later, you find out that he's employed here in Indianapolis at a different high school. And how did you feel a year after he resigned from the high school that I attended? I find out that he is teaching at North Central High School. And I will be completely honest. I I don't think I've ever been so mad in my life. Like I was in a complete blind rage. I didn't even hesitate. I looked up the school. I called their phone number. I asked the secretary to speak to the principal. And I left a voicemail and I told them, you have a predator working in your school. And I didn't even think, I, I just did it. And that was me deciding, you know what? Screw this. I have to face, I I have to get through this. And telling the world what happened to me to stop him was what I had to do. And thank God you did, Ashley, because if you didn't, he'd still be teaching there. Because again, at that school, there had been multiple allegations against him. I don't, I'm not clear on if they were as extreme as what he had been reporting, like the assistant theater director was reporting him for so much stuff at your high school. I don't know if they were that extreme, but certainly enough that they should have been major cause for concern. And he'd still be there. He would, they weren't doing right by those kids until you actually came forward and stood up for them. And you know, that I know that it couldn't have been easy for you, but that was really, really courageous. So fast forward to today and we are, let's see here. You came forward. It's been a year ago now, a little over a year, right? Yeah, it's been, yeah, a little over, I want to say January of 2020. I Beginning of 2020, I'm not 100% sure, but yes, a little over a year. Okay, so we're partway through 2021, and finally, he was fired. And it should be noted, too, for the listeners, that Ashley's school wasn't the first place that he left under, let's say, mysterious circumstances. He had been let go, again, allowed to resign from a different high school out of state before coming to Ashley's high school. Same thing happens at Ashley's high school, and now here he is teaching at this other high school for seven years before anybody knew anything 
supposedly before anyone knew anything about it. So they finally fire him and he gets reported to the Department of Education. And I am happy to say that his license has been revoked, at least for now. That was a there. There are so many gaps in these laws, but that was I, I was I could not believe this that in Indiana it is not mandatory to report to the Department of Education if there's no conviction. So even if you fire someone, if you let someone resign because of unethical or immoral or you know even just suspicious behavior, you don't have to tell the Department of Education. And I think that's a whole load of horseshit. Yeah, you can just uh, scrub their file and you can what they call pass the trash on to the next school to deal with because you don't want to tarnish your reputation by being known as the school who had a predator working there. And you know what? It works because that leads us into another huge issue with the law and that's the statute of limitations. So you come forward and you are telling everybody what happened. And for you, there is no recourse. The statute has long run both criminally and civilly. So you can't do anything to him at all in a court of law. I get, and at this point, I don't want to say it's not about justice. It's about, you know, what I can change and what, what I can do to help prevent this from happening again. But at the same time, it pisses me off. I don't get justice because I waited too long because the state of Indiana says you have seven years to figure this out. You have that much time to process your trauma. And I think that I can speak for most survivors out there. When I say we don't, we don't get to choose when we process our trauma. I didn't It just all of a sudden, when I saw his name, the floodgates of my memories opened and I didn't have a choice but to process it then. And I still I don't think that I'll be honest, I don't think I'd be sitting here if I didn't come across his name. Because I'd still be sitting here thinking that this was my fault. And then I'll touch on a brief topic that a while back I watched Athlete A. And I know that you've talked about this and had some of the individuals from that on your podcast, but Jamie Dancher in there, she talks about how for a while she felt guilt after coming forward. And when she said that, I, it was just, you know, I know that the rest of the world that doesn't understand what it's like to be a victim, they're not going to understand it, but she's right. She, I completely understood that. As soon as I made that phone call that evening, I, you know, I was sitting there with my husband and I was like, what have I done? This man was kind to me. He was nice to me. And I just betrayed him. And that, that is being groomed. That is what happens to me. That is what my abuser did to me is he groomed me to, to think this way. Thank you for sharing that because that was a a moment in the documentary that really struck me too. It's so poignant, so profound because that's how good he was at it too. That's how good they are. Even Tim Evans, who's the Indy Star investigative reporter who went and interviewed him, who knew all of this, who knew about a lot of these allegations by the time he came face to face them. He got in the car after the interview and left. And he said, he kind of felt bad too. And he was like, what are you, why, why do you feel badly? Like, look, look what this guy did to all these people. And that just goes to the power of grooming. I, grooming is so, so, so powerful. And we've all been groomed. Everybody in this world has been groomed, even though you think you, you might not think you have, but you have. Yeah. Do you have any advice for any professionals who work within the field of sexual abuse and sexual assault or loved ones of survivors or survivors themselves? Anything that you think is just important to hear as people are going forward? I think the biggest thing that a survivor needs to hear, a victim needs to hear is that we believe them. Kelly Bowder. I think that's her name. I hope I'm saying that right. Kelly Bowder said 
when she worked for the Department of Education in Indiana, and she told me that she believed me. And Kara Kenny told me that she believed me. And those three words were, they meant more to me than anything anybody has said to me through this all, is that we want people to believe us because the world tries to convince us that it's our fault. I'm not saying the world. I mean, most people though, I mean, I feel like the idiot who was like, you know, every time that a news story was posted, I was like reading the comments yep. and oh my, the things that people say, you know, oh, you should have known better. You were an adult. I was not an adult. I was a child and I didn't ask for this. Nope. I didn't want this. And then we, I wasn't, I didn't get my heart broken by my theater teacher. He broke my soul. He didn't break my heart. And I, I have to reclaim that now. It goes so much deeper than that. Right. And I can't imagine the effects, the way that being a survivor of sexual abuse affects people is different for each person. They're just different things and different issues that they have to work through. And in my opinion, if and when, because it's always when this person is in any sort of position of trust or power over them, it has additional effects. It's not even just about that anymore. It could be about relationships with people in authority positions. It could be about relationships, it's just intimate relationships generally. I don't think people understand how pervasive this is and how it infiltrates your entire life and it changes you from the person you were before. I am fortunate to have an amazing husband and I probably, he says I give him too much credit, but he takes his time and he understands this. And I tell him all the time, I'm like, I'm so lucky because a lot of survivors don't have, they can't build those relationships. They can't, they can't seem to function again because every day they wake up, they're still a victim and they don't get, they don't get to change that ever. No, you're exactly right. When you said that choice wasn't given to you because you were a child. And earlier when you were talking about why you didn't come forward, that actually is exactly what popped up in my head. I always tell people, go read the comments, go read the comments on these news stories. And then you understand why people don't come forward because as a society, that is the knee jerk reaction. Blame her. Why? Why, why do we do that? Why does everyone do that? I have people say it to my freaking face sometimes, which I think is awfully brave, but you know, like why, 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 why? And I do believe that we are starting to see a shift in our culture and we're starting to do better. But the only reason that's happening is because of people like you, because you're brave enough to come forward and take a stand and say no more. And if it weren't for people like you, we'd still be in the same place we were before. So thank you for that. Thank you. I think it's, it's at this point, like I said, there is no justice for me, but it's not about my justice anymore. Indiana, I've said it before, their system is broken. The education system is, it's the perfect environment for a predator. Mm -hmm. And we are, we are turning our cheek to that. There are all kinds of students that go to high school. There are students with great home lives and there are students with bad home lives. And those vulnerable students, they are seeking trusted adults. We tell them that they can trust these people and they are getting taken advantage of and they are being physically or sexually abused. And we, we have to change our education system needs. It needs reform. The statute of limitations. I just, it's a joke. I, I should not, no survivor should be told, Hey, you have X amount of time to process this. Or you know what? You're shit out of luck. Yep. There's nothing we can do for you. 
And with the and, schools, it's even worse. It's not even the seven years. It's yeah. 180 days. If you don't file a tort claim notice against a school, give them notice that you might sue them within 180 days. Sorry. Who, who in the world is thinking about that right then? No one. Because you know what? You're thinking about shame and you're thinking about how bad it feels. And most people aren't even coming forward because that's a hell of a burden to bear. So who in the hell is thinking about litigation at that point? And so victims are further traumatized and further victimized and robbed of that chance because our law is bullshit. I don't think that we, you asked what professionals could do and what we could do. And I just, I don't think that there is enough for victims and survivors out there. I don't, I don't think we get enough support because it's an uncomfortable topic. And it is something that unfortunately I have faced, even with my family, nobody wants to talk about what happened to me because it's uncomfortable. And I'm sitting here now talking about it and it, it makes me uncomfortable, but you know what I have to say to those people is I get to wake up every day as a fucking victim. I don't get to change that ever. So you, you don't want to talk about it for five minutes. You don't want to give it the thought of day. I don't care. You are either on the side to stop educator sexual abuse, or you might as well stand in front of a high school with a sign that says predators are welcome. Come in, pick a child, any child. That's it. There is no gray area here. It's black and white. You either want to protect children or you don't. Amen. I'm so sorry. I just got off on a huge tangent. No, that's, that's what's so important about this because that is the absolute truth. Either you're with the victim or you're with the perpetrator. And it is that simple because you know what? It's real easy to be like, ooh, you know, he is a creep. Maybe they do believe you, you know, but ooh, let's just, like you said, send the trash down the road and this pretend it all didn't happen. That's real easy. It is a lot harder to face the consequences and understand because you know what? Like some of them have to understand maybe I do have some culpability here because maybe I was on that hiring committee or I'm part of that administration that let him in here. But you better take responsibility for it now because if you don't, down the road, it will be way worse. And that and that is what is so disgusting about this because I'm not even sitting here preaching about doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I'm. It's like I'm scared, trying to scare them into doing the right thing. And that's what I do on a daily basis. And that is, you know, it's a little, uh, it's disheartening and a little demoralizing that we have to do that, that there is... a a reason to have to go in and do that every day because people continue to make the same choices, the easy choices. And that choice is not for victims, period. Our system is set up currently to protect abusers. I couldn't agree more. Not, you know, I do want to say something real quick. You mentioned both um, Kelly Botter and Kara Kenny earlier. Kara is an investigative reporter in Indianapolis. Kelly was at the department of education and now she is actually running the conviction integrity unit at the Marion County prosecutor's office. And they're both just both badasses. First of all, both very fierce women and do obviously doing a lot of good work for the community. We never thank Kara enough for what she does by putting this out there every day. And I always say putting it into people's living rooms. So then they have to listen to it. Absolutely. Um, Such, such important work. Is there anything else that you want to say before we start to wrap things up? The only last thing that I want to say is that one thing coming forward showed me was that I was not alone. And that that is the main thing that I want to share because I know that if there is a survivor listening to this and you haven't spoken about what happened, I want you to know that you are not alone. A couple of days after I came out with what happened to me, 
I had somebody that I didn't personally know, but worked with at some point in my life. And she came to me and confided into me that she was raped when she was 16 years old. And she has since then been afraid to ever come forward with that. And I just want every victim and survivor out there to know that you are not alone and that we are all, we're at a point where we have to come together and be there for each other because nothing is going to change unless we make a change. You're so right. And thank you for the change that you're making because you are. And I think that a lot of survivors don't get to see that change directly. You know, we all, every survivor who comes forward and shares their truth helps and it helps to change the culture and it helps for people to learn things like this help, but you actually get to directly see what you did. You are responsible for him not being at that school anymore and him not being able to further abuse those kids. And so thank you. Thank you so much for that. And it's clearly not easy, but what you did was so damn important. Okay. So we'll wrap it up with our three questions. It's intended to get a little bit lighter, but sometimes it doesn't. I don't think. (laughs) First question, what does courage mean to you? Courage. You know, when I was, when I was little courage was like when the Disney princess did the right thing. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't think I truly understood courage until until I came forward. And then I courage to me is being scared, but doing it anyway. That's, that's what it means to me. It's spot on in my opinion. (laughs) Um, what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? So my piece of advice is enjoy the little things. Um, you know, I have, I have been depressed. I have been on the darkest, I have been down in the darkest hole with myself. And I am a mom of two girls and they are, they are my world. And on my darkest days, especially going through all this, I didn't get out of bed for myself. I got out of bed for them to play arts and crafts or to watch them ride their bikes. So I enjoy the little things because sometimes the little things are so much more important than the big things. It's where the beauty lies, right? The the yep. living is actually the in between things. those moments. Yeah. Yep. It is baking cupcakes and <laughs> eating cookies for dinner. It's the little things. That's what they're going to look back on someday and remember. Yep. And then lastly, what is one question that you wish more people would ask you? I wish. So people ask me all the time or people, you know, hey, are you okay? But I wish people would ask that question and I wish they would want to hear the answer. I think that especially when it comes to all this stuff that nobody has really taken the time to ask me if I'm okay. I think when I came out, everyone reacted. I had family that was angry. I had family that has not been the most supportive, but nobody has really taken the time to ask me if I'm okay. And I just wish people would want to really hear if I am okay. It's really insightful. I think that we actually practice this on a daily basis and people are like, Hey, how are you? That's turned into hello. That is not really, if you're asking if they're okay, you don't expect anybody to tell you the answer to that. And in a situation like this, it sounds like they want to be supportive, but they don't really want to hear about it. And unfortunately, sometimes hearing about it is the way you have to show support. And I don't even mean about hearing about exactly what happened, but about you know, where you're at now and where you're going and, you know, what they can do to help be there for you. 
Okay. Well, thank you so very much for being here today. We really do appreciate it more than I can say. I think that the things that you shared with us today are so freaking valuable and so much that you shared for people to learn from. So thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for listening as always. If you have any ideas for guests that you think should come on the show or questions that you have for any of us or our last guests, please send those to us at supportforsurvivors.com. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time.